So we're going to uh, read the scriptures today. And our scripture reading today is from Genesis 28:10 through 22. So let us all stand for the reading of God's word. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it, it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set, up, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, through, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be with be my God, and this stone that I have set as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give to me, give me, I will give to you tenth. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you for that reading. Though I was talking to Dwayne earlier and I said, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little frustrated I didn't get the memo about the Aloha shirt. <clears throat> I definitely would have joined in on that one. Karl Barth, a theologian, reminds us to take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both. But interpret newspapers from your Bible. In the past week, we have been told to do both, not only by theologians, but by our officials in our government. I am grateful that Lake Avenue Church has recently done a series on Romans 12 and 13. And I would invite you to go back and look at that series. We can, you can still get it uh, on our website. In it, uh, Pastor Greg discusses three ways in which he tries to discern when to submit to the authorities and when to say, I must obey God instead. And here are those three things. One, am I being asked to violate a direct command from God's word? Two, 
Am I being asked to do something immoral or unethical? And three, is God asking me to be a voice for the voiceless? Once again, that whole sermon series is online still, 12 and 13, and I would really encourage you go back and listen specifically to Greg's sermon called Living Under Authority. Um, as Greg and I texted back and forth about that earlier, um, he, was, he was grateful as well. And uh, I want to say that as I listened to it earlier this week, um, I was um, impressed by uh, the way that uh, Greg went about that, that particular piece. And so I give that to you as an encouragement and a way to say that God's been working in and, and about us um, to be able to speak into what God's doing in this place. As I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I was asked for a title. And um, if you've been around a little bit now, you know that titles aren't really my thing. Um, but I was being asked for a title. And as I was preparing and getting ready and, and, and writing some of this sermon, I realized that this sermon has a lot to do um, with the promise of God, right? And so the title itself um, is called Promises, Promises. And if you are a child of the late 70s and early 80s, then me just saying that reminds you of a particular song. Um, and you're not going to be able to get that one out of your head for a while. Um, Promises, Promises is a song by the group Naked Eyes. That's a nice little uh, bit of trivia for you. Um, and that, that song um, has absolutely nothing to do with actually keeping promises. It was actually about broken promises. Um, so the, the, the analogy here goes only that far. Um, so I can't help you any further with that, but that's just where it came from, this group uh, in the 80s, uh, Naked Eyes and Promises, Promises. We continue on this morning uh, in our series, The Life of, Life of Jacob. And so when we last left our hero, <clears throat> not so much a hero yet, right? We haven't gotten to that part yet where Jacob's a hero. Uh, he, he's, he's been swindling things. He's been uh, grabbing at things, Right? He swindled his brother's birthright. He lied and deceived his father in a way that I can't even imagine. He colluded with his mother to do so. And now he has stolen his brother's blessing. You would think that Jacob doesn't actually like his family. You would think that Jacob doesn't like his father and specifically doesn't like his brother. And this stolen blessing uh, is the last straw, not only for Esau, but for his father as well. Isaac is frustrated. Isaac has been deceived. Isaac does not want to give the blessing to Jacob, but to Esau. And so Esau is now plotting to kill his brother as soon as his ill father is dead. Fantastic family. So good. So Isaac comes around and realizes what has happened. And he blesses Jacob to go on a journey. To go on a journey to his uncle's place. But he did not send him with a cadre of people. Did not send him with 
a bunch of protection. He did not send him with a bunch of animals to go on this journey. He sends him alone. Now remember, Jacob was the quiet man who liked to stay among the tents. Jacob is sent away, as one of the commentators states, the biography of Jacob as an independent personality, a patriarch in his own right, now begins. The home-loving favorite of an overprotective mother is now an exile, utterly alone and friendless. Embarking on a long, perilous journey that is to take him from Beersheba in southern Canaan to Haran in northern Mesopotamia. His character is to be tested and refined, his personality molded and transformed by the experience. Jacob now begins this 928-kilometer trip to Haran. And if you're not up on making that transition from kilometers to miles, it is 576 miles. It would be as if you were to, told to pack your things right now, leave Lake Avenue Church this afternoon, and head to Fort Bragg in Northern California. You get to leave now with only what you brought, expecting to eat on the way with what you were able to gather along the way. That seems like a journey that I don't want to take. So about two days into the journey, about 50 miles in, he stops. He stops at a place, an unnamed spot on the map. Why he stops? Because the sun has set. It got dark. Which, if you have ever been camping, you know that's probably a little too late to stop. It doesn't even talk about how he actually ate dinner. It doesn't speak about anything else other than the fact that he grabs a pillow from a rock. Now, I don't know about you, but the times that I've been camping, I've grabbed a sweatshirt. I've grabbed, like, some, some things out of my bag I've, to, to create as a pillow. I've never, ever looked around and thought, oh, that looks like a soft rock. Part of what we don't get here is the difference between cultures, right? What we see here and what we read here is that, that Jacob took a rock for a pillow. But what he really does take that rock for is to set it near his head as protection. You'll see that in other places in the Old Testament where, where judges will set spears by their head. The same word is used kind of pillow-ish. It was there because he had nothing else to protect him. And while he was there, he had a dream. He actually fell asleep on a rock. Has a dream. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway or ladder resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. The scene is Jacob's ladder. Now, much has been said about Jacob's ladder. So much so that when you Google Jacob's ladder, here are some of the images that come up. A child's toy. A picture of art. In different forms, from different places. Exercise equipment. <laughs> and this picture... Uh, this picture was one that came up and I thought was really intriguing. This is actually the picture of Jacob's ladder out of the Luther Bible from 1534. 
there seems to be a lot about Jacob's ladder. Not only the images that are created, not only the toys that are created, not only the exercise equipment, but there's a horror movie and a couple others. There's a TV show called Jacob's Ladder that didn't do all that well. There are songs upon songs upon songs about Jacob's Ladder. All this stuff about Jacob's Ladder, and guess what? we really have no clue about what it means. You can read the commentators from, from the, the conservative ones all the way to the liberal ones, and all of them kind of go, ah, it kind of exhibits the presence of God and maybe was something about Babylon we don't know. Which is important to note because it's not the point. Jacob's ladder is not the point. The point is the message that is heard because of what God says. God encounters Jacob. For the first time, God is standing with Jacob. For the first time, we see God and Jacob interact. And God comes near him, not just stands away from him at the top of this ladder, But the verbiage there is actually stands next to Jacob while looking up at the ladder. God makes a promise. And and it's this promise, this promise that is uh, is defined as a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a, specific, or of a specified act. It sounds very legal. There's another, there's another definition, and that is this one. To assure beforehand. To assure beforehand. Uh, we encounter promises all the time in our society. We enter into these declarations and create expectations of how we're supposed to live in this world. When I am preparing to do a wedding, I always ask to see the vows. Because something that's happened in the last 15-ish years is that a lot of couples want to write their vows themselves. And for whatever reason, they turn into these fantastic and beautiful poems of love that lack no sense of promise. And so to make sure that they actually promise each other something, I want to make look at the, at the vows. We as a church promise to help parents raise their children because it does take a village and God creates a village for that one thing. We promise to each other in the state of California that we will be safe drivers when we get a driver's license from the DMV. <laughs> right? We promise, we promise all the time, and so does God. God makes a promise to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household and to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He makes a promise to Abram. Abram is gone by now. 
and Isaac lives. And he makes, a, he makes a promise to Isaac. And if you don't remember the context of that, Isaac is, is in a famine. There's a, there's a famine in the land and everybody wants to head to Egypt. You know, if you don't know why everybody heads to Egypt, you have to remember that the Nile is there and the Nile River Valley is full of great soil to grow things. And so places, when they became in famine, like the Negev Desert, where they're living, they would head out to Egypt and so that they could find food. But God says to Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I will tell you. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you. I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Remember, this is a moment pre-Exodus. This is pre-Ten Commandments. We don't have a bunch of decrees. And the only way that these men understood the decrees of God was through a relationship with God where he showed up and said things to them. These promises become really, really important. And what we find now is this moment where God shows up in the life of Jacob. And says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Think contextually. Two days prior to this moment, Jacob has deceived his father, Isaac. And this is God bringing that into context. I can't imagine what that, what that sounds like in his ears. God goes on, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. The nature of God's promise is twofold here. One, God repeats the promise that he's made to Abraham, which is interesting from the simple fact that um, Jacob has no children and Jacob has no wife and Jacob is alone in the middle of the desert. And he's nowhere near his uncle's house. God's making this promise to talk about descendants being great. And he repeats that what's already been said. But he also makes a specific promise to Jacob. Six specific promises, in fact. He says to him, I am with you. I will watch over you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you. I, I will do what I say. I will complete that. I will, I will promise this. In that, he's, he's talking about things that 
not only does Jacob need to hear, but you and I need to hear as well. I am with you. Where else have we heard that? That moment of understanding of what Emmanuel means, that God is with us, that Jesus is coming. Y'all, Christmas is coming. You should get your stuff down from the attics and start moving them. It's six months away. I don't know. God says, I will watch over you. I will protect you. We all know that God's not necessarily protecting us from harm, but he's protecting our hearts so that our lives can be used for his glory. God says, I will bring you back. There's this sense of bringing you back not only to a place, but to a person and to a people. He says, I will not leave you, I will not abandon you, is what Jesus says to us when he leaves this earth. He sends us the Spirit of God so that we would know the presence of God and and that he will complete it. Christ is called the author and perfecter of our faith. It's the same idea here that God would complete that what God has started. And that because God promised that it will be so. See, the emphasis here is that God, that Yahweh, not the Canaanite El or anyone else, is the one who gives and keeps promises. Jacob is the object, is the recipient of Yahweh's unconditional guarantee or involvement in, protection over, and guiding of Jacob's life. It is God who is doing the work. It is Jacob who receives that blessing. It is God who does the promising and us who receives the blessing. The significance of God's promises are actually threefold. One, it's God-initiated, right? God initiates this plan. It's God's plan. This is God moving toward humanity in order to do something that only God can do. As Pastor Tim reminded us last week, that God's plan is to stop the avalanche of sin in our world and extend the blessing of salvation through them and their family to all the other families of the earth. And this plan continues in you and I. As we are recipients of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection, we continue in that plan that God initiates here in Jacob. We have work to do, people. Two, it's God-dependent. So far, we've seen that in Jacob's life, he and his mother have plotted and schemed and directed and stolen and otherwise destroyed their family in order to get what they believed was theirs. In these promises, God is going to do what God has promised, not only to Jacob, but to Abraham and to Isaac and even to you and I. It is God who is doing the work and God who promised. These things depend on God. I'm so grateful for the child dedications this morning. And for Tyler and Lissa, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. But the things that we promised you, 
you have no control over whether or not we do them. You just get to receive or not receive based on what we do. The blessing of God in your life through us. We have something to do, people. And we continue to promise those things. The significance of God's promises, three, is God is present. Ryan Lister makes this observation. He says, first, Scripture makes clear that the presence of God is a central goal in God's redemptive mission. All of God's work ends with the Lord dwelling with God's people. Second, the presence of God is not only an objective, it is also the means by which the redemptive mission is fulfilled. God writes himself into his own story in order to bring salvation. God does something amazing for you and I because God wants to be in the midst of our relationships. That still blows me away. I want to be clear. God's promise does not require anything from Jacob but for Jacob to believe it. All Jacob has to do is believe it. To say, okay, God, I believe you. Where do we get that? We get that from his grandfather, Abram. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. You remember that scene, right? Abram doesn't have any kids. He's old. You're going to have kids. Abraham believed. And what happened with Sarah? She didn't. And no fault on her. I'm not sure I would have. That's a hard place to be. Hearing about the promise of God secondhand, I'm not sure I would believe that. It points to God's presence being real and effective in the ways that we understand how we move forward in this world. And so we gather in places like this so that we can gather and understand God's presence together. Jacob's relationship with God is just beginning. And he wakes up. Wakes up in the morning and he looks at this rock he's been sleeping on and he erects it as a visible symbol of God's divine presence. He pours oil on it and says, you know what? This is the place where God met me. This is a place where God has been. Remember, he has no responsibility to do anything other than believe. He then vows to God an exclusive allegiance through a discipline and a gift. Through discipline and a gift. As a, another commentator puts it, Jacob pledges himself to a certain course of action as an expression of gratitude to God after the promises will be fulfilled. According to the natural order of this story, Jacob's vow cannot be, cannot be understood as bargaining with God since all that Jacob asks for has already been promised by God. This isn't a bargain. This isn't him going back and forth saying, hey, God, if you're going to do all this stuff, then you'll be my God. Remember, this is the beginning. And Jacob's saying, I'll believe. 
and I'll give you a tithe, I'll give you a tenth. Now, the establishment of tithe is, is, is well recorded in the Bible. And, and what he's talking about here is really interesting because remember, Jacob's out there by himself with not a whole lot of money. He doesn't have anything to give. And he doesn't have anywhere to give it, remember? This is pre-Exodus, pre-Temple, pre... There's not a church for him to give things. And so what he's talking about here is, is, a, is a gift in kind of the things that when he receives them, that he will set aside for God to do what God would say in the coming days. In that response, in Jacob's response, a response of gratitude, a response of the gift Jacob becomes the visible symbol of God's divine presence in the world. Jacob becomes the visible symbol of God's divine presence in the world. And now, in, verse 20, in chapter 28, we, he, we see the beginning of this new Jacob, for whom we will spend the rest of Genesis with. 28 through 50 is all about Jacob and Jacob's new family. A very large family. A very large family where he has a heart. He's a broken man who serves God well. And he loves, he loves, he loves his youngest son. You remember Joseph? The dream coat? Lake Avenue Church. You are a visible symbol of God's divine presence in Pasadena. We are a part of this place, and we come and go from this place as a reminder to us of God's presence, that we might go out from here and be a visible symbol of God's divine presence in the world, in your homes, in your workplace, in all the places God has called you. We are a visible symbol of what God is doing in this world. Do not forget that. But like Pastor Tim spoke about last week, to work as though it depends on us is not what God wants. For Jacob and for us, that does not mean there's nothing to pray for, to speak about, or to do. Jacob continues in his journey, holding on to the promise of God as a visible symbol of the divine presence. And the rest of Genesis being about him and his family is really, really important. Because along the way, Jacob realizes that God is always doing something to remind him of who he is. And that God is always doing something to remind us of who we are. And there is always something there to point us to Jesus. Now allow me to be cheeky for a moment. Because as I say those words that there's always something there there's another song that I'm reminded of. Uh, it's a Burke Bacharach song, if you know that man. Shelly Smith, Dionne Warwick. But this really cool group from the 80s, Naked Eyes, they did a cover of a Burke Bacharach song called Always, there, Always Something There to Remind Me. That's as far as that goes, I'm sorry. 
I hope today that the promises of God are true in you. I hope today that you recognize God's initiated promise, God's dependent promise, God's presence in the promise he's given to you. I hope that you are always reminded of the fact that God has initiated a plan for you that is fulfilled in Jesus and has given you and I the divine presence so that we may be to the world a visible symbol of grace and mercy and the gospel of God. Amen and amen. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, you have given us your presence. In this place and beyond this place, you have called us to be your people in this world. Let us never forget that. Let us never forget the calling that we have on our lives to be the people of, of your grace, of your mercy, of your gospel. Empower us, encourage us, hold us. Show us what we will do in the coming days and weeks. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.